You now tuned in to the Gunk Town Podcast. I'm your boy Doug B. We ain't got nothing to talk about, but we got something to talk about. Let's go. Good people, good people, good people. Welcome back to the Gump Town Podcast, episode 116. I'm your boy, Doug B. If you tuned in to this podcast, thank you for your time and your attention. I really appreciate you giving this podcast a shot. Today's guest is the general manager and head coach of the D.C. Defenders. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm sure we'll all be inspired by his story. Let's chop it up with Coach Reggie Barlow. Coach Barlow, how's it going? Man, everything is good. Certainly appreciate you guys allowing us to come on and uh, fellowship with you tonight. Yes, sir. Glad to hear. Glad everything good your way and appreciate you for giving me a few minutes of your time just to chop it up and all that good stuff. First things first, how's life been treating you lately? Life has been good, Doug. I mean, I tell you, man, just, uh, you know, God is amazing. Uh, We've been blessed to be able to um, accomplish a lot and be in a really good situation. My family is good. Kids are good. Wife is good. My parents are good. So we're just blessed, man. And uh, we just want to continue to try to bless the world uh, and share um, with all the things that we've been blessed with. Yes, sir. No doubt. So, of course, we're here to talk about your great playing career and great coaching career that you still presently in and making great things happen. But before we Go there. Let's get to know the man behind it all. Let's start from the beginning. What was your upbringing like coming up in the Gump? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Montgomery, uh, mainly Ridgecrest. I mean, we moved around a good bit. Uh, we spent some time in uh, English Village, maybe a year or so. We also uh, lived, uh, you know, Smiley Cove, uh, a few other places, but mainly Ridgecrest. Uh, myself, my mom single parent, um, my brothers. There's four of us through my mom, but five boys um, through my dad. So a uh, bunch of brothers, man, obviously being, you know, playing sports in the city, Bellingrad, Lanier, just doing stuff in the neighborhood there. So, uh, but good, man. You know, a lot of times when you experience a life and the things that you're going through, right, things may be bad. You don't even know they bad because that's just what you're accustomed to. So when you look back on it, you think like, wow, man, there was a lot that we were going through. But um, we made it through and uh, we're happy about it. Yes, sir. No doubt. So it sounds like you came from humble beginnings, but you had a great village around you growing up. Yeah, I mean, that's what it takes, right? A great village. Um, our brothers being my mentors and setting the tone. Um for, you know, for what, what we wanted in terms of playing sports, um, staying out of trouble, you know, that type of stuff. So, and my mom, of course, and then, you know, her brothers, her aunt, my uncles, my aunties, and, uh, of course, my dad, right? He still was around a little bit, so uh, still able to, you know, to, to be involved with us as well. That's amazing. It definitely takes a village, like you were saying. So, you go on to attend Lanier High School where you were – an all-state football player. And after graduating from, from Lanier, you went on over to Jackson Street, South Jackson Street, to the Alabama State University, where you had a illustrious career there as well. So aside from your great football career, let's talk about the HBCU experience just in general. What was that like for you? 
Yeah, I mean, how about Alabama State? Great university. Really the only scholarship offer that I received. And I'm forever indebted to the university and so thankful for Coach Markham and them giving me an opportunity. But, yeah, the HBCU experience was something um, that I knew about, like just from watching Alabama State, Tuskegee, you know, those type of programs. And um, <laughs> But um, it was a really cool experience for me. Obviously, being able to play football, being able to learn from some really, really good football players, uh, really being able to learn from some good coaches. Uh, that culture of you know, the band and the fraternities and, you know, all that type of stuff was um, extremely cool. And, you know, the most important part of it is I met my wife there. So, um, you know, it's an awesome thing. Absolutely. Now, that's amazing, man. So you had a great time, just the HBCU experience. and. Especially being from Montgomery and going to Alabama State, I'm sure you got a chance to meet people from, from all over, uh, East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. And that's really what makes the HBCU experience great, like getting a chance to meet all those different people from those different areas. That's dope. Yeah, Doug, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, when you attend a HBCU like Alabama State, you know you're going to see people from Alabama, uh, people from Mississippi, Georgia, uh, those type places. But then you talk about you know, the people that come from Detroit. I mean, it was a lot of people that came from Detroit. A lot of people came from Chicago and how they live and the things that they were used to. And then uh, my best friend, Al C. Sertan, was from New Orleans. Uh, him and Herbert Harris came really cool friends with those guys. Just, you know, doing the breaks, you know, go home with them to experience their lifestyle and that type of stuff. So, you know, those are the memories. Those are the great times that we had going there from Mardi Gras to, uh, to New Orleans. Um, just experiencing a lot of things that, you know, those guys experienced. And then our teammates that was from Detroit, teammates from Chicago, uh, experiencing the things that um, that they experienced and, you know, how they live was uh, really cool. Yes, sir. Good stuff. So you're going to have a great career as a wide receiver and kick returner at ASU and hold a single-season record for receiving yards. And you go on to get drafted into the NFL in 96 in the fourth round. Was that a, a lifelong dream? And take us through that moment when you first got drafted. Yeah, I mean, being drafted was an awesome experience. Um, I, I, I'll be frank and honest. Like, baseball was really my favorite sport. And, and I just wanted a career in MLB. And um, as I got a little older and played in high school and, you know, things just didn't measure up, match up. Um, so football was the way. Uh, but being drafted was a huge um, blessing. Um, obviously, once you play and you realize, okay, this is what I want to do. So being drafted in the fourth round in 96 was huge. It's arguably the best wide receiver draft class in the history of uh, the NFL draft. And we had some amazing guys um, that got drafted in that, that draft class, about four Hall, Hall of Famers um, as receivers. And um, so I knew it was going to be a challenge, but I was happy to get drafted was happy to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that was really just starting out. Um, there wasn't, right, there wasn't this tradition and history behind that program. So I uh, was happy to be a part of that. Yes, sir. That's amazing. Glad you got a chance to experience that. Went on to play for the Jaguars and led the league in point return yardage in 98. Yeah. I mean, I, I, know, I, I know that was a proud moment for you. That was a proud moment. You're talking about, I mean, how many people can say they led the National Football League in anything? 
<laughs> right. Um, receiving, receiving yards, rushing, touchdown, any of that. And to be able to say we led the league in 1998, you know, obviously it was because of, you know, great coaching. It was because of um, many of our teammates, guys that played on special teams for us. And, you know, we had a stint during that time where we were able to do some really positive things. And it was because of Brett Boyers and, you know, even Fred Taylor early on in his career, he was on special teams, as well as many, many other of our teammates that played on the Jaguar team. So certainly happy about that. And, uh, you know, it's something that we hold true. We, you know, we can say, hey, for this year, right, we led the National Football League in this category. So definitely proud of that. Absolutely. Reggie Baller from the Gump led the league in punt return yards in 98. They can't take it <laughs> away from you ever. <laughs> right on. You know what I'm saying? That's in history, man. Yes, sir. There ain't a lot of people that can say they led something in the NFL, man. That's just what it is. Yes, sir. Much respect. So you have a great career with the Jaguars, going to play for the Oakland Raiders in 01. And in 02, you ended up playing for the Bucks, one of the best defenses of all time, where you won your Super Bowl. What was that Super Bowl experience like for you? Yeah, it was great, man, playing there in Tampa. Um, you know, but to, honestly, the, playing there with the Raiders and being a part of that and knowing that you were selected by uh, Mr. Davis, Al Davis, that is, to be a part of his team because you don't come through there unless he gave the GM and the scouts and everybody else and the coaches an opportunity to sign off on it. So uh, if I could do any redo over, that would be the redo, um, that I could just be back there uh, in Oakland and be able to uh, really continue to play there because of the history and tradition. But so grateful and thankful that John Grew, who was there at the Raiders at the time, who brought me there when he got the job in Tampa, uh, when I got released, you know, he hit me up. A few of the guys hit me up and said, man, you need to come here, be a part of our team. You mentioned our defense, man. You're talking about Derek Brooks. You're talking about uh, Lynch. You're talking about Rondé Barber. You're talking about Warren Sapp. That's four Hall of Famers off of that defense. But those guys will tell you that was the other guys um, that made that defense really good, Simeon Rice and uh, – Shelton Quarles and, you know, many, many others uh, that played, Greg Spires that played on that defense. And as a coach, as a player, I know, man, defense travel. And if you want a chance to win a championship, you better be good on defense. And that defense was really good. Yes, sir, without questioning. Man, y'all mopped the Raiders, man, in that Super Bowl. So you did your former team real bad, Coach Barlow. You wrong for that, man. <laughs> yeah, I think Coach Gruden and I, we, we, we talked about that because both of us, I think we had one other guy from the Raiders, uh, Ricky Dudley, who was ironically my roommate in training camp and stuff. Um, but we often talk about that, right? We, we were able to get back at the Raiders, um, for either cutting us, firing us or whatever you want to call it. So it was, uh, excuse me, certainly happy about, you know, that opportunity to go and win that, um, Super Bowl. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That's that's good stuff. So you played for the Jaguars and the Raiders and the Buccaneers. So just from a cultural perspective, living in those cities, what what is what what are some of the differences between those three cities? Yeah, I mean Jacksonville, um, land wise is the biggest city in the country because Duval County is the entire Jacksonville and per uh, population. 
it's the biggest. And I know there's the, you know, Chicago's and there's the LA's, but they're divided up into these different little small cities or counties. But Duval County uh, is essentially the entire Jacksonville. But you're talking about a big, big city from a population standpoint, but not a big city from how it is and how you live. It's not fast paced and all that stuff, but uh, you know, you got the beaches, um, a really nice place to raise a family, raise kids. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time being there. A lot of times I think about a lot of the places that I didn't take advantage of, that we didn't take advantage of, of visiting, you know, great restaurants and all that stuff. So it was a great place to live, great place to stay there. I, I ended up staying there maybe there like two years after I was done playing in Jacksonville. Um, you know, the, the Raiders, Oakland, right? Oakland, the Bay Area, bro, right? It's, it's Oakland, right? It's Oak Town. It's, it, it sounds like a big, 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 big city, but I mean, there are so many integral parts of it. Um, but enjoyed our time there. It's right over the bridge, essentially from Montgomery to Prattville is essential to Oakland to San Francisco. Mm. So you're talking about going right over the bridge to uh, an amazing city with great shopping, great restaurants, lots and lots and lots of people. Um, so that was a cool experience for me. I'm not, I'm not real big on the um, fast pace stuff, but I thought it was a real cool experience. And then Tampa, uh, there again, an amazing city, got beaches and stuff, uh, lots of really amazing restaurants. Um, you know, all three were great sports town. Uh, that loved their teams. So uh, I was just happy and glad that I was able to experience those teams and those cities. It was really fun for me. That's amazing stuff. And appreciate you breaking down just culturally, just the difference in all of them. And uh, so you finished up your seven-year NFL career, which I don't know the math exactly, but I want to say you beat the odds because I think the average NFL career is like, what, four four years, five years? Or is that – or does that – does that – uh, waiver. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm. A, I have a. I have eight accredited seasons. Eight. Um, nice. Okay. Yeah, it was one year that I spent on IR, and that was in ten. I mean, in Oakland. But back when I was playing, the average career was three years. Um, and you know how I go, man. We we you know you grew up in Montgomery. You grew up in Gump, Ridge Crest. There's gonna be a thousand people telling you what you can't do, but being able to overcome the, you know, the status of, oh, it's a three-year minimum, and being able to make eight years out of it is uh, something that I don't take for granted, something that I'm extremely proud of and uh, blessed that we were able to do it. Yes, sir, and that's amazing. Like, you you nearly did three times what the, the average career is. So, yes, you beat the odds, like, from the gump. That's amazing. Like, that's that's a that's a blessing, man, for real. Yeah, from the gump. And then, you know, the other thing is in my high school plant, Lanier, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of success, but we were able to go to Alabama State. And then it's the whole, well, you can't go to the NFL from HBCU and then to get drafted from HBCU, you know, from Alabama State. And then to to be able to have a career at that thing, which first they say you you ain't supposed to get drafted from HBCU and then you get drafted and then, you know, obviously have a career there so. Uh, all things to be proud of, and obviously, without the help of you know family and friends and teammates, um, it wouldn't been able to happen. Sir, no doubt, absolutely. So, speaking of your playing career at Lanier, I, 
I read where you got your jersey retired at Lanier back in 2014. Take us back through that moment when you got the call that your number was being retired as well as the ceremony. Well, you know, Doug, I actually tried to talk them out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a guy that um, I, I, I appreciate the, the honor, and I was humble by them retiring my jersey. But I do know how important single-digit numbers are to high school kids and college kids. And my number was number eight at Lanier and there may be an opportunity a kid that want to wear a number eight and he's deciding between going to Lanier or going to Carver from McKee or one of those schools and it comes down to the number and if number eight ain't available this kid may say well I'm gonna just go to Carver because they got my number and that's you'd be surprised how often that happens but uh, I was humble and blessed um, that they um, decided to retire my number at Lanier High School, but I tell you what, if there ever comes a time where there's a young man that wants to wear number eight, I'm like, hey, man, take it off the shelf and give it to him. Allow him to wear it so we can have the best players that we can possibly have at Lanier. Oh, man, that's amazing just to hear you speak on it. And you're definitely right just in terms of high school players. That's a single digit uh, numbers being important. But at the same time, Coach, you earned it. Like, you you beat the odds, man. So you getting your number retired was well-deserved. I know you. I know you. You're humble and things of that nature. But, yeah, I'm definitely I'm, – I'm one of many people that would tell you you definitely deserved it. That's amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yep. Yes, sir. So you finish up your eight-year career in the league, and you go into coaching. You start as a QB coach at the Alabama State University. Did you always know coaching was the next step after your playing career was over? Playing days were done? Well – I, I tell you, like, when I was playing, the one goal I had in my head, I was like, bro, I'd just be tickled to death if I can go and be the head coach at Bellingraph, um, middle school, right? I mean, that's kind of like, okay, you go play ball, you retire, you go teach PE or whatever, and then you coach middle school football. I was, I was kind of dead set on that, but, um, um, I had a chance to meet Charlie Cole, who was the head coach at Alabama State. Had a chance to spend some time with some of the coaches over there that I knew. Uh, obviously, they had Tavares Jackson. Um, and Tavares Jackson and my career, our career, was just so linked in terms of, you know, we both from Montgomery, we both from Ridgecrest, we both went to Bellingraph, we both went to Lanier. He ended up coming to Alabama State. Obviously, I went to Alabama State. And it was just like, at the time, they had the position come open and – it was more like somebody that could be investing in Tavares uh, to continue to develop him mentally, physically, uh, to help him on his path because obviously he was an NFL talent, and you know it was it was it was a great opportunity for me to be able to learn from somebody like him who was so smart, so sharp, had his real skill set, and getting that position, um, being his quarterback coach. Uh, and and just really accepting who he was and how he goes about the game and all that stuff. And obviously he ended up getting drafted in the second round and all that stuff. So then uh, our coach league got a job and we were able to be named interim head coach and things kind of took off from there. And God rest his soul, Tavares Jackson. Um, like you said, you all had a lot in common. One thing you left out, Coach, because you're real humble, both of you all are Super Bowl champions from the gun. Yeah, that's right, man. Super Bowl champions, right? Hey, that's uh, that's an issue. It's hard to do, man. It's hard to do. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I tell people 
when I'm talking to people, I, I'll, I talk about that I went to Lanier High School, and Lanier High School has six guys that have won Super Bowl championships. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just think about that. Not two, not three, six mm-hmm. guys that have won Super Bowl. And obviously, Bart Starr all the way back and, you know, myself, Tavares, and uh, I always forget all the names. I always say I'm going to remember all the names, but I always forget. But I got it saved in my phone somewhere. But just think about that. It's six Super Bowl champions that walked the halls at Lanier High School. And me and my homeboy, right, I'm proud of that. Gino James, I think, is one of them. We're uh, two guys that, you know, from Ridgecrest that were able to do that. Yes, sir. That's amazing. Hey, y'all in the history books, man. And at the end of the day, you'll always be in the history books. Super Bowl champions. Right. That's, that's good stuff. So you go on to become the head coach in 07 of your alma mater. What was that moment like being hired as the head coach? You said Bellingrad, but you got hired as the head coach at Alabama State University. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was more that opportunity was more. Um, that was a huge moment for me just seeing and being grateful for people that love Alabama State to have um, confidence in me to give me an opportunity to be the head coach there, knowing that I didn't have a whole lot of coaching experience, knowing that it would take some time for me to right learn how to be a head coach and believing that once we you know, were able to develop, um, that we would have good programs there and good teams there. And um, I think we did, right? I think we were able to win a good bit of games Ended up being, I think, second in all-time wins at the school, probably first in uh, conference games. But uh, just a cool experience being there at home. But it's always hard to go home, bro. It's always hard to go home, right, because you're so connected to the university. And, you know, you go from being this player there that accomplished this, and now you're the coach there. You got to hear folks say bad things about you. That don't always feel good. But um, we were able to do some good things there and really grateful for the opportunity that we had there at ASU. Yes, sir. And that's the amazing thing. You definitely had a great coaching career at the Alabama State University. So in the eight years there, you had a three-year consecutive run of being Swag East, winning that division, the Swag East, and and, and ended your, your time there with a winning record, 49-42 in the record books, had a great conference record. You did some great things, so it all came full circle. So the very school that you got drafted from, you got a chance to come back and coach. And I must say you, you did a great job, Coach. I appreciate you saying that. Obviously, uh, whenever you have success in a team sport, it is about the people who you populate yourself with. Uh, we had um, really good coaches that just did not – that they knew football. They were really good football coaches, but – they were just good people in general, and they cared about their student athletes. And then, of course, the student athletes that we were able to recruit and bring to the program, they bought into coaching. They bought into, you know, our philosophy of what we wanted our team to be. And because of that, we were able to have some success. So having good coaches, having good players, and then, of course, your support, your support staff uh, being good is also something that you definitely need. So uh, things were good. Yes, sir. No doubt. So after having great coaching success at your alma mater, you went on to coach at Virginia State. What was 
Etrix, Virginia, like what was that city like? Yeah, Etrix is uh, you know, at one point it was a booming city. Um, Petersburg, Etrick, um, with you know, the whole tobacco thing and um but you know, over the years a lot of that stuff went away and you know, there was some you know, a loss of that. And um but Petersburg, um and Virginia State, the city where it is, it's a really cool town. Uh, college town, not a whole bunch, right, going on, which is good for the student athletes. But Virginia State is an amazing university. Uh, they have an amazing leader in Dr. Abdullah, uh, who is the president. Miss um, Peggy Davis is an amazing leader who's a director of athletics. And uh, I think in my entire coaching career or athletic career, uh, being the head coach at Virginia State was uh, the biggest and best thing ever happened to me as a football coach. Wow, that's amazing. So you got a chance to coach there and got a chance to have great success there. In fact, I see your first year you were there and went 9-2, and 5-2 and two in the conference. So you, so you were able to play in that role and make, in, make an immediate impact. So hats off to you for making that happen and getting in there and turning that program around and doing great things you got a chance to win the conference title in your second year what was that experience like yeah um you know going to virginia state and when they hired us um it was a difficult situation because we were only able to allow to bring one coach because the staff prior to us the head coach left and the other guys were on the contract so that in itself of trying to manage you know a bunch of guys that don't know us and know how we operate and all that stuff was a challenge but um they did have players they had good players there and it was more about getting everybody to buy into our mindset and our thought process and the guys did a good job of doing that the coaches did a good job of that and we went nine and two as you mentioned and then the next year as we continue to um make how we communicate in our culture be a part of everybody fiber. That's a part of the organization. Uh, we were able to go 10 and 0, which is the first time that happened in the school history. So, um, but again, it comes from populating yourself with good people. And that's what we were able to do with the staff that we had. Uh, that's what we were able to do with the players that we had. And, uh, we ended up going out, being over there maybe six years or whatever and, uh, winning a lot of games, getting some guys drafted in the NFL, Trent Cannon. And um, winning a lot of games. So I'm forever indebted to Virginia State because they got me, man, when there was a time where I was – we were down, right? We just got let go from Alabama State and trying to figure out, you know, what's next. And, um, you know, so getting that job and getting that opportunity was uh, probably the best thing that ever happened to me in athletics. Wow, that's amazing and powerful story. And it's just great that you were able to land on your feet after, you know, what happened at Alabama State, things happen. I mean, it's, it's you know, things happen, but it's not what happens to you is how you respond to it. And you responded in a great way, relocated to Virginia and did some great things. So, and I'm sure, like you said, it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to you. And typically we go through some storms in order to get to those, those great moments. So hats off to you for keeping your head up and just pressing forward no matter what. Yeah, I think uh, during those times I found out, and I, I believe this, that things don't happen to us, they happen for us. And everything that happened at ASU happened for 
to make me a better coach, a better person, a uh, better everything, right? And then getting the Virginia State job um, at the time being closer to my kids. They were an hour and 50-some minutes away. It was my son in middle school at the time. My daughter was in elementary school. And over the course of those six years, I was able to attend track events, uh, whatever other volleyball events, school events, school dances. I was able to achieve and attend all of that, go to all that stuff, and still be able to go back into my job. So I mean, it was a time in my life where, hey, here's what it is for you and for you and your family. And we went and made it work. And uh, I'm grateful for it, man. And I love that school. It's a really beautiful school, great campus. Uh, great um, majors there. I mean, it's a school that you can go be an educator, you can be a nurse, you can be, uh, uh, what is it, uh, in media, you know, broadcasting, um, engineering. I mean, they just have criminal justice. They got a lot of beautiful majors there. So love uh, Virginia State. Yes, sir. Good stuff. So after you finish your tenure as head coach at Virginia State, you head on over to D.C., where you currently are the head coach for the D.C. Defenders in the, in the XFL. So in your very first year, you all went 9-1 and one and made it all the way to the XFL championship. So you were able to, once again, make another transition and have immediate success. How you keep doing it, Coach? Let me guess, a great team, great village around you. That's what it is, bro. It's like, I mean, it's getting good people. Uh, our staff, we were very intentional about who we hire um, on our staff, and we wanted a good mixture because a lot of times we get left out that HBCU coaches can't coach on a bigger level. And I wanted to make sure that we were um, – with myself, we had a bunch of coaches on our staff that was either HBCU grads or guys who had coached at HBCUs and – you know, those guys did a great job of, uh, you know, building our team. Obviously, we had Vaughn Hutchins, who was our director of player personnel. Miss um, Stacy, who um, was a Stacy Johnson, who was a, our team operation person, and then our coaches. And when we got the job, it was just a blank sheet of paper, and I was asked to go and hire a director of player personnel, a team operation person your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then all your position coaches. And then once we had that staff in place, now is go evaluate talent and build your list of who you want to draft. And I just commend our staff for what they did to build our staff, um, adding the guys that we added, drafting the guys that we drafted. Uh, our quarterback was um, you know, offensive player of the year. Uh, our running back was <laughs> – if not second, third in the running for that. Uh, we had a lot of defensive guys that were solid. Um, we had about 10 guys sign NFL contracts um, to well, sign NFL invites to go to training camp and all that stuff. Um, so all in all, a real cool experience. Um, you, know, you only get so many times to show your stuff. And on that level, on the national TV level you get a chance to go out and compete and uh, our coaches did a good job our players did a good job and uh definitely humble and proud of them for that yes sir that's good stuff so i see the dc defenders been around for five years and you are the first coach of the year no let me let me get that let me get that correct the xfl coach of the year of the whole league 
Reggie Barlow, 2023, in the record books. Reggie Barlow from Ridgecrest in the Gump. Man, what was that feeling like when you got the call? I mean, you said it, man. Like, Reggie Barlow from Ridgecrest, from the Gump, Bellingrad, Senator Lanier, man. Like, things that we've had to experience throughout our life. It's, it's typically hard to be able to accomplish things, right? But when you got you know, faith in God, um, you got a good mama, good daddy, uh, support staff of brothers, um, you know, people from Montgomery that came and supported, um, getting good players, our support staff and our, and, you know, with our director player personnel. This guy, Von Hutchinson, he's, Von Hutchinson, he's a, he's a star, man. He is, definitely needs to be a player personnel guy in the NFL. Um, so we were able to do that and we're proud of that, proud of what we were able to accomplish and to be the coach of the year. Um, you know, in this rendition of it with The Rock being a part of it and this Danny Garcia, uh, it was pretty cool. That's amazing, man. It's amazing. And, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's just, uh, just amazing, man. Just look at all your, your accolades and everything you've accomplished. And I'm, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a tough question. This next question is going to be very tough of everything mm -hmm. that you've accomplished. All state in high school, all swag. In college, Super Bowl champion, coach of the year in the XFL. Of all the accolades you've accomplished in your playing and coaching career, which of those accomplishments are you most proud of? Yeah, I think, um, you know, being a player, a former player in college and in the NFL, and knowing the mindset that I would go out with because I could control that. I knew, okay, I want to lead the NFL and punt return yards or whatever. I could control me and, of course, my teammates. Um, about how they play, but I think being able to coach a team to go and be undefeated, that's pretty hard to do. That's week in, week out, finding new ways, new creations to mentally and physically get your team ready. Uh, times when, you know, you've won five in a row and guys are feeling themselves, but still being able to keep them humble enough to go to the next game and letting each game have a life of its own. I think um, I honestly think being able to coach a team to go 10 and 0 and win a championship, it's pretty hard to do. And, and a lot of people that get to do that. So I would have to say going 10 and 0 at Virginia State and winning championship. That's amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you've done great things <clears throat> as a coach, and I know great things are coming down the pipeline. So my next question is just in terms of vision, what are some of your short term and long term goals? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. Um, We've been blessed to um, experience a lot. And we do talk to our coaches and our players about being where your feet are. Um, and right now we're here. Um, but we do want you to have dreams and goals, right? The guys that are playing in the XFL, um, we want them to have an opportunity to go to the NFL. And I think that's the same for coaches, getting an opportunity to show that you have the skill set um, to build a team, to coach a team, to get guys on the same page, uh, uh, to be able to coach in the NFL as a head coach, right? A lot of times people try to put the corral on you and be like, well, I could see him going and be a position coach or maybe a coordinator, but why not a head coach? That's what I've done for the last 17 years is to be a head coach. And we believe um, that we can do that. Uh, we believe we will populate ourselves with the right people, uh, the right players, the right coaches, the right support staff uh, to give us an opportunity to be successful. So uh, 
although it hadn't happened yet, uh, we're going to be where our feet are and we're going to continue to work, continue to get better, continue to grow as a coach. And when it does happen, because we're claiming that it will happen, uh, we'll be able to go and show our stuff. So we're excited about that. Yes, sir. Those are great goals, short term and long term. And just based on what you've accomplished, I have no doubt you'll make whatever you set come to fruition. All right, on. Appreciate you saying that. Yes, sir. As we wrap up the podcast, Coach, I want to ask the million-dollar question. I started this podcast to highlight the greatness connected to the city. Whether you were born here or lived here for a significant period of your life, be it college, military, or work, you being a hometown hero, what makes you the most proud to be from the Gump? Well, I tell you, I, I appreciate you establishing this podcast. We all need to be connected in some form or fashion. But um, I mean, the thing about the Gump, man, there's so much history and tradition there. There's so many people have given up damn near their lives um, to have a better life, obviously for minorities in that city. And the history and tradition of, um, you know, the bus boycott, bus, uh, bus boycott, you know, Martin Luther King and all that stuff. And, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of people, athletes, rappers, um, talented people um, that have come out of Montgomery. And I think we still need to do a better job of uplifting and encouraging our people with talent to still come and, you know, do what they do. But just happy to be a part of Montgomery, man. I love that city. Uh, anytime I'm there, I'm trying to give back. Um, anytime I'm not there, I'm thinking of ways to give back. So uh, just humble and proud that uh, Ridgecrest Vineyard guy um, that's been able to go around the world and see a lot of experience, a lot, but get a chance to bring that back to the gun. So uh, that's what I'm most proud of. Yes, sir. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So how can the people connect with your coach? Where can they follow you at on socials? Yeah, so our job keep us uh, extremely active on social media, on Facebook, right? Um, it's just Reggie Barlow. On Instagram, it's Coach Reggie Barlow. And on Twitter, it's um, Reggie Barlow. And although I'm not on TikTok as much, I do like TikTok. There's some great stuff that's on there, but it's uh, Reggie Barlow as well on that. So appreciate you allowing me to mention that. Sir, and of course, I'll put all of that information in the description of the episode. Hey, Coach, thanks again for the conversation. I really appreciate you. It's been good, man. Sorry for being a little bit tardy. I'm going to have to do about 10 push-ups for that, so <laughs> excuse me. But uh, thank you for your platform, and thank you for what you're doing uh, to tell the story of a lot of people there in the Gump, man. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Good people, that concludes another dope episode of the Gumtown Podcast. In the meantime, in between time, y'all know what to do. Be blessed, be safe, but most importantly, have the audacity to be you. Go on. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time.